Hello, welcome to the Bright Club Southampton podcast. I am your host for this podcast. I am Dave Christensen. It's nice to have you back here at Bright Club Southampton podcast. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, just a quick recap for anyone new here. We have people who perform stand-up comedy about research stuff at shows in Southampton every few months. And then we bring them back in to chat with them about their work and about themselves and their interests and all sorts of things. Uh, And that's what this is. So um, in this podcast, you will hear some jokes from their live recording. And you will also hear just a lot of chat and conversation. And and that's always fun. So um, yeah, this episode is no exception. Today, we have uh, Grace Andrews interviewing Lisa Jones. Um, Lisa Jones is a uh, a biologist, biochemist. Uh, I don't know exactly how she defines herself. Um, she studies uh, maternal diet effect on health in uh, later life for the infant. Um, but I can't explain it better than she can, obviously. So um, I will hand it over to them in just a second. Uh, yeah, actually, I've got, I've got nothing else to say. So I'll hand over to them now. And um, yeah, I'll see you in a bit. Hi, Grace. So, um, Lisa, when we did Bright Club together, uh, you made some pretty funny jokes about how your PhD was seemingly endless. <laughs> but thanks to my excellent internet creeping skills, I have discovered that you have recently <laughs> finished your PhD. So, uh, what was that like? Um, yeah, that felt good. I'm impressed by your internet creeping skills. <laughs> um, yeah, that was a massive relief. About two years ago, I wasn't sure whether I was going to continue the PhD, so to finally hear the words congratulations, Dr. Jones, I was massively relieved. So, yes, VIVE was done um, 27th of February, so nearly two weeks ago now. So, yes, loving life, not having to think about thesis or VIVA, so. Are you insisting that everyone calls you Dr. Jones? (laughs) No, or maybe I should. Some people are, and I'm finding it really uncomfortable. <laughs> I think the first thing I did was just update all of my like, credit cards and things yeah. to say Dr. Grace Andrews. I feel that I can't, um, I can't officially change everything. Maybe like a small thing like Tesco Club Card before I actually get my certificate is okay. But <laughs> yeah. Officially, all the official stuff, I'm not sure if I can do that yet. <laughs> well, congratulations. Thank you. Um, so why don't you just uh, why don't you tell us a little bit more about what you were doing for your PhD in Bright Club? You're talking about how you were studying the effect of diet during pregnancy on like the long term effects of offspring. So yeah, why don't you just tell us a little bit more about that? Okay, so um, my PhD is all about how um, what happens in the mother during pregnancy and how that affects the baby. So I was looking at different types of diets, so mainly vitamin D deficiency. Um, I also looked at high fat diets in pregnancy as well and then how that affects the baby's muscle function in later life. So um, there's a condition called sarcopenia which is basically when you're older um, it's like the um, reduction of muscle mass and impaired function in the elderly and it's thought that the risk of developing that is set up in utero so in the womb in pregnancy so um, your rate of muscle development um, is affected by 
yeah, the conditions in the, um, in the uterus. So if you've got a poor diet, it's thought that that rate of muscle development is going to be impaired and therefore the amount of muscle mass you obtain, the peak muscle mass you obtain in adult life um, is reduced and the decline with age is a lot faster. So we're kind of looking at trying to develop a higher peak muscle mass through looking at how um, yeah, things in the diet can affect that trajectory of the muscle development over time. So, um, so yeah, things like high-fat diets, vitamin D deficient diets is thought to be drivers of altering the muscle development and therefore increase the risk of muscle wasting in later life, which is um, problematic for you know, increased risk of falls with the elderly and NHS costs and things like that. So that's kind of like the rough like theory behind it. I mean, so why why does vitamin D, how could that, how, do, how does that impact um, muscle development? What's the role? So vitamin D um, can have lots of different effects. Um, it's a steroid hormone that can have various effects on numerous organs such as the brain, bone, muscle, um, there's not that much research on the muscle at the moment, but um, the vitamin D receptor, which is basically on the outside of cells, which vitamin D binds to, to then allow its functions to take place, um, that's present in muscles. And some of the other important uh, molecules that allow vitamin D to go from um, its initial form to its active form to elicit um, functions. So there's some suggestions that it's important for muscle in terms of just that these factors are present within the muscle, they're expressed in the muscle, um, but also there have been epidemiological studies associating like um, low vitamin D in the blood to increase risk of falls or reduced muscle function, but there's not that much out there in terms of looking at it from a pregnancy point of view. And so many pregnant women are vitamin D deficient. Mm -hmm. um, it ranges hugely across the world, but yeah, a lot of women are um, vitamin D deficient. And so we're trying to unpick um, the importance of that vitamin in terms of yeah, muscle health in the offspring. And yeah, so there's just various, yeah, there's various um, bits of evidence suggesting that it increased, well, vitamin D supplementation that increases muscle fibre size or density. So there's just lines of evidence suggesting that it does have an important role. We're trying to get them all together in my thesis. Hi, so I'm Lisa and my PhD is looking at how diets during pregnancy affect um, our lifelong health. Now, I'm a final year student, but I've been saying that since my third year my fourth year and technically I'm about to go into my fifth year. So I'm clearly doing a fantastic job. So how have you been actually studying this in the laboratory? What's been your approach? So mine has actually been using animal studies. So um, I have looked at a, a couple of mouse studies and the sheep study. And for example, with a mouse study I've done, we feed the mothers a a normal diet or a vitamin D deficient diet before pregnancy, throughout pregnancy, and then once they've given birth, the um, all the offspring are put onto a normal diet. So then, at a certain so when these offspring are like adults, we're then able to do various sampling, um, such as some sort of strength in vivo strength tests, which is 
yeah, so like some behavioural tests and some strength tests to test their like forearm strength and their hind limb strength. Um, and then any differences we find, we can count back to between the control or vitamin D deficient diet during pregnancy. So, so yeah, my stuff's all to do with animals and yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, and so what are some of the results? Are you finding big correlations between these diets and and muscle strength? Um, so my PhD, no, <laughs> not too. Okay. It's just so sad with vitamin D deficiency. We didn't find loads. We we found that um, any I need to do some well a little bit of work I'm doing now since I've done my PhD is looking at like muscle structure. And there are suggestions that that might be affected um, in my mouse model. But um, a lot of my significant results from this mouse model in particular were more in terms of their activity. So they had reduced activity. But whether that's because of muscle function or maybe more... What do you mean by activity? Sorry. Sorry. Um, so they would, we would do this test where they put in a, um, like a little, call it chamber, that sounds awful. It's like a, <laughs> a little like open box thing um and free range mice <laughs> free range mice yeah <laughs> and um we measure for over a five minute period you can track like the activity so where they wander around how fast they go okay um so the amount they wandered around was reduced in the five minutes the amount of time they spent doing short sharp bursts of movements was reduced and mm-hmm. the number of times they reared up onto their hind legs or jumped up Mm-hmm. those sort of measurements were reduced mm-hmm. um, so those are the main findings so it wasn't as the diet didn't cause as many effects as we were hoping but there's various reasons why it might not have as with a PhD you don't always get nice positive results all the time yeah but, um, well I mean in some ways yeah. this is great though because you know you don't want these um, you know vitamin D or whatever diet to have massive impacts right and, yeah uh, um, I mean there are a couple yeah, and so, um, but yeah, sometimes if there's more evidence that it impacts maybe like the cardiovascular side of mm-hmm. things, so the heart and the blood vessels. So at the moment, there are a few maybe problems with the mouse model, things that need to be tweaked a little bit. Um, but yeah, if there are no problems with the, it's not affecting the muscle that much in this model, we need to like think of other ways to try and tweak things because. Some things are being reduced, some things aren't changing, so it's just trying to build up some more models to try and figure that out. And um, what about with the high-fat high diets? You said that was another thing you've been looking at. Yeah. What so, are your results there? So the reason why we looked at the high-fat diet is because obesity and vitamin D deficiency is actually linked. Um, so that's why, and we've got, um, we have some colleagues who already have a high-fat model set up. So when I came to the university, we're like, okay, we'll start with that that's kind of like a, a good way to start my PhD off. Um, but it turned out that after analysis of the feed, the high fat diet had more vitamin D deficiency, sorry, more, uh, more vitamin D levels in that diet. So it was completely like going against what I was trying to yeah. look at. Um, but we found that a high fat diet in pregnancy um, is kind of altering the way vitamin D might be metabolized in the offspring. But that again, not more research needs to be done on that. I was looking at it in adult life as well without it being in 
just in pregnancy and it appears that it's more detrimental when it's just in the postnatal life mm. rather than the prenatal life but it's a bit of a complicated model to try and tease things out because instead of having this high fat diet with lower vitamin d levels sure. it's yeah those are too high so yeah there's been yeah there's been a few problems with the models but there are still some interesting relationships that have come out of the work i've done so some of you in the audience are from my faculty over at the hospital so you may have uh, witnessed my spectacular three-minute thesis attempt now for those of you who don't know what three-minute thesis is it's a competition where you have to explain your phd in three minutes with one slide so it's pretty tough and um, anyone who knows me knows that i'm a very competitive person so i was well up for the challenge um, but at this time, I was doing you know, endless hours of image analysis, I was being publicist for Point of Science, and I had also just started my science communication um, internship. And clearly, all of that was not enough, and I just had to contribute to that feeling of burnout that little bit more. So, um, yeah, I got pretty nerdy over the competition, and I, you know, I was drawing my illustrations by hand, converting them onto the computer, and I was spending like a whole morning Sort of uh, deciding my colour palette for the slides, you know, important life decisions. And um, yeah, so I got my script ready and I made a fun little analogy. So I was feeling like quite confident, you know, a little bit nervous as you get, but um, yeah, I was like, you know, I've got this. Um, anyway, Wednesday the 15th of February comes around and it's 3.30 pm and I'm setting to go up on stage and it all starts perfectly. Then I get to about a minute in, and I totally blank. So I'm stood on this stage, and I've totally forgotten what I've just said, what I'm about to say, and a, like a lecture theatre full of people is just staring back at me, and it's totally silent. And the only things that are going on in my head are, I fucked this up, I fucked this up. And um, yeah, so completely, definitely the most embarrassing moment of my PhD. And to make it worse, I'm pretty sure I blanked halfway through an analogy about the three little pigs, which did make sense at the time, I promise. Um, but yeah, people probably thought, what on earth is this girl on about? So I had three minutes to get through, just three, and I only made it to the one minute mark. So if I get past one minute tonight, I will be more than happy. Um, and so how... So to me, I, I'm assuming that ultimately the idea is to learn something about how this to be applied to humans, is that right? Yeah. So how do you, how do you studying mice and sheep um, tell us about what might be happening to humans with these kind of diets? So there, so obviously, yeah, it's not direct, you can't directly compare it to humans, but you can't, we, we have to be able to test out these kind of effects on animals before we look at the humans. We can do epidemiological studies where there are some studies that are looking at um, vitamin D supplementation um, and how that affects the offspring in later life. But in terms of looking at vitamin D deficiency, you can't really put that on a person. It's not like that. Ethical. Yeah. So that might be a to, human rights issue. Yeah. <laughs> Just a little bit. Um, so yeah, that's why we need to use animals to start with. Um, and they can suggest things, you know, they're, um, they're mammals, so there are similarities with humans, 
and although there are some differences for example mice they have they might have like eight pups whereas in a litter whereas humans have one baby or two yeah um maybe um twins it's those will affect the results but it's still mice and animal studies are a really good way to kind of try and understand the mechanisms behind it and with sheep with them only having maybe one or two pregnant um, fetuses in their pregnancy it can mimic the human pregnancy quite well um, so sheep are a really good model of developmental physiology so yeah it's trying to mimic human pregnancy as best as possible would this ever how would you ever scale this up if you found an interesting result with mice and sheep would you ever scale this up to humans somehow um i don't know how you'd be able to you wouldn't be able to feed humans a high fat diet or feed them a vitamin d deficient diet yeah so i'm not sure ethically how that would work but there are I think it would be looking at further studies where you can do associations, but then mm-hmm. that's not always ideal mm-hmm. either. So you could take blood, me- um, you could take vitamin D measurements from their blood and mm-hmm. associate it with findings, but mm-hmm. then that only tells you so much because it's not a direct cause. There could be so many other factors involved. So I'm not, I'm not sure how that would work. Yeah. Um, so when you talk about. Uh, so I don't. You may not have noticed this, but I'm actually five and a half months pregnant myself right now. Oh, and, and so this is really interesting to me, like thinking about you know how um, you know the things that I'm eating and stuff. So I mean, do you have any sort of like from your own research, other people's research, like advice for or tips for people um, about what kind of diets they should be eating when they're pregnant? I think this is probably going to sound really, well, probably what you're expecting, but I think just a balanced diet. There are studies looking at yeah, high fat or low protein or different levels of, like there's the ketogenic diet where it's all high fats, low carbs and things. But I think overall, it's just, if you've got a balanced diet of fats, carbohydrates and protein, your baby, obviously what the nutrients that you take in is gonna affect your baby. It's gonna, um, it's gonna affect uh, nutrient transport across the placenta and therefore what your baby receives. So I think making sure you just get a good balance of those three macronutrients is the best thing you can do, really. Yeah. Because if you're depriving it of, I don't know, carbohydrates or of protein, for example, mm. that's going to be important for muscle development. And yeah. Yeah, you just need to be mindful of all those three. So My baby is definitely getting lots of carbs. On yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, because in your, in your break clubs, you know, um, set you had like a you had a bit about when you were talking to us to a teenager and they got really depressed yeah. because their mom had eaten all this McDonald's and so I mean when we talk about you know high fat diets I mean are we are we talking about like McDonald's kind of diets or is it like um, yeah like what what do you really mean when you say high fat or vitamin D deficient I mean is that something people should be like concerned about so in terms of vitamin d deficient uh, deficiency a lot of the population is vitamin d deficient so you can get vitamin d from foods or the sunlight um but we don't say for example living in the uk we don't get that much sunlight and they're telling us to you know put on sun cream and have um moisturizers that have um sun protectant in it 
That blocks vitamin D as well. That obviously blocks vitamin D synthesis and you synthesize most vitamin D from your torso and obviously it's not warm <laughs> enough here to just go around in a bikini. Yeah. So that affects it. And then yeah, in terms of foods, it's like a lot of oily uh, yeah, a lot of oily fish and fortified food products. Um, and sometimes it's just really hard. People don't get that through their diets. So mm. supplementation that like I have vitamin D supplements and I think that's quite an important thing. You take vitamin D supplements? Yeah, I do. There's, I mean, there's evidence that supplements don't always do that much, and, mm-hmm. um, but in terms of the research I've done, yeah, well, that I've looked at in terms of the literature, vitamin D supplementation does enhance um, bone formation and muscle growth. So, yeah, it's really important to get that in your diet, and then in terms of high fat, a lot of the studies are looking at like saturated high fat yes saturated fats and you still want fats in your diet but the problem is you don't want to have a high fat high sugar diet you want to have the right type of fat so yeah trying to get good sources of carbohydrates rather than chocolate and mm-hmm. you know, cookies which is so tempting yes but, it um, is yeah <laughs> I'm struggling with the sugar cravings <laughs> at the moment um but yeah, just thinking of healthy sources mm-hmm. of these things, like avocado instead of uh, yeah, McDonald's. Or, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, just, mm-hmm. yeah, choosing wisely. Choosing yourself now and again. Yeah, of course. you've got to do that. Yeah, you've got that's to do that. That's mental health. Yeah, exactly. It's just important. I yeah. tell myself. <laughs> so thank you to the guys at Bright Club for asking me to perform today. Um, when I got the message, I was actually back at home in Bristol, where um, yeah, my family come from. So I was explaining to my mum what the event was and um, saying, well, you know, how I'm going to have to turn some of my tragic life experiences, which is my PhD, um, into something light-hearted and funny. So I was bouncing around ideas and um, I was telling my mum like, awful things that had happened, some funny things that had happened in the lab and funny conversations between me and my friends. And then my mum just goes, oh, what about your two failed relationships? How did you even get into this kind of work to begin with? Um, Where did your interest come from? So I studied physiology, so human biology, at Manchester. And I really enjoyed it and I liked the maternal and fetal health and the more hormone-based modules. So I wasn't really sure where I was going to go with it. So then I realised that they did a master's in maternal maternal and fetal health. So I went and did that at Manchester. And then I, again, did not know what to do. And I thought I was just going to stay in Manchester and work for a year and figure out what I was going to do with my life. And then the pres- uh, professor sent around this email with the PhD project I'm doing. Um, and I was like, oh, that's really cool. That's like looking at diets but and in pregnancy and how it affects muscle function. And the whole um, muscle function side of things was another aspect I really enjoyed in my, um, in my undergrad. So I was like, oh, cool, I'll apply and I'll just see what happens. And then within two months, I'd had the interview and I'd got accepted and, I was moved, and I'd moved down to Southampton. So yeah. it was a big, I was fast turnaround. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, so I wasn't looking for a PhD and I didn't know if I wanted to go into the lab. 
But then I saw that project and I was just like, no, that's kind of calling me so well. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll go and give it a shot. So yeah. that's how I ended up here. Yeah. Are you glad you did it? <laughs> um, that's a really tricky question. I um, I've had like a very up and down journey. Yeah. Um, and it's made me, I know I don't want to stay in academia. Okay. It's, for me, it's, yeah, just various situations I've had is means that I, yeah, it's put me off that, but it has made, then when I realised that, it's kind of made me forced to think about, well, what else do I want to do with it? I know I want to stay in science, mm-hmm. like I love the science, but um, yeah, it's, it sounds weird, but producing the science in a laboratory is not for me. It's not the right setting, whereas I'd mm-hmm. happily like, learn about it all. So um, yeah. I figured that I, well, I started my science blog, yeah. and so I was like, I'll try out science communication, do a bit of writing, try and get a portfolio of stuff. Together mm-hmm. in case I like it, and I've really enjoyed that. So, and that's kind of how I got to do Bright Club yeah. um, was through my blog. So, I now know that science communication is definitely like where I want to go into. Yeah. So, the PhD has been a platform mm-hmm. for me figuring that out. So, I suppose mm-hmm. like yeah, I am glad I've done it, and it's taught me a lot of things about science, laboratory research, but also myself as well. Like, I've definitely become a stronger person. Yeah. It does tend to toughen people up, I think. (laughs) It's broken me down and then it's built me up. (laughs) Yeah. Like muscle function. Like muscle function, yeah. Is that right? Yeah. Okay, great. I don't know where I pulled that out from. (laughs) So, back to my research. More specifically, it's looking at how high-fat diets in pregnancy affect um, the baby's muscle health, well, muscle function in later life. Now, one of my passions is to inspire and enthuse the younger generation to pursue a career in science. Um, and over at the hospital, there's this really cool facility called Life Lab, and it's basically um, a facility where they can bring school children in, and they can, for the day, they can learn what it's like to be a scientist and get do some hands-on research. So I decided to sign up for one of the Meet the Scientist sessions, which is, you basically get small groups of school children, two of them, and you, sorry, two groups, 15 minutes time, and you explain your research. Now because a lot of, well, all my research is to do with muscle strength, I get them to do a, um, like an arm wrestle to start with, and we work out who's, who's stronger in the group, which the boys absolutely love. And, um, Yes, we work out who's stronger and we talk about why one person might be stronger than another. So we discuss how exercise and um, like resistance training can improve your strength. And then we talk about um, how what we eat can also affect it. But then I introduce the idea that their muscle strength could be impacted by the diet their mother ate during pregnancy. Now at the time, I'm just sort of like, I'm. Uh, sat at a table with about eight boys surrounding me and um, the guy directly to my right just kind of slumps down a bit and he starts looking a bit upset and a bit confused and I'm like okay that's kind of weird you know I don't really deal with kids much it's probably just a hormonal 14 year old boy thing (laughs) and um, then he just shouts out oh well I'm absolutely screwed aren't I because my mum said she pretty much only ate McDonald's when she was pregnant with me Um, so yeah I'm fantastic job at infusing the youth of today. So goal, that's the goal ticked off. So um, yeah, tell us more about your blog. Cause, uh, yeah, what, what, what do you write about? 
So the blog was originally to talk about um, scientific topics in the health medical kind of field and to try and break down that complicated, all the complicated science so members of the public could understand. So I started doing that and then I started doing like PhD advice posts because various situations I've been in is kind of, after reflecting on it, it's kind of taught me a lot and I felt like I had a few things to share that other people might appreciate. So, mm-hmm. um, and then it's those PhD advice blog posts that, pe- yeah, that gets a lot more engagement. So I suppose I've done a bit more of that rather than what I meant to do in terms of the science. Mm-hmm. So it's a bit of a mixture of bits and pieces or if, or like I've done a blog post on my bright club experience. Mm-hmm. So kind of things that crop up. So it's a bit of a, it's a, bit of a mixture. Mm-hmm. Who do you know? Um, how how have you like advertised your blog? Who are the people that read it? How are you reaching out to people? Um, so I have Instagram and I have Twitter, mm-hmm. um, and I yeah I have my blog Facebook page, but Facebook isn't really I don't know that's not doing that much for it. But mm-hmm. Instagram I find is a really cool way to promote it and reach out to people like I'm quite a visual person so Instagram I just really like it's a bit more creative so Mm -hmm. that's quite fun um and yeah over the time I've been doing it my following's kind of increased slowly Mm -hmm. but um yeah I get people if I've so I can use Instagram to either yeah go back to my blog kind of link them to my blog or I might do something where it's just a post on a certain thing that I feel like it's important to talk about and that kind of gets engagement um, and yeah I get messages from people saying like oh I thought I was the only person struggling with this part of my PhD like mm-hmm. it's so nice to know that other people are, are in the same position as well so it's kind of I feel like I've found like a little science communication community on Instagram which is lovely mm-hmm. um, Twitter you can I get a lot of people looking at my blog through Twitter, but I am not a, I'm not a whiz at Twitter. I don't really like <laughs> get it. I need to figure that out a bit more. It's a bit of a minefield to me. Yeah. And yeah, so I don't have a Twitter. I like I somehow yeah. I've never jumped on that, and now I'm just I feel like it's too late in the game for me. You know, like like if I was gonna have a Twitter, I needed to have done it like eight years ago or something. Yeah, well, I started my blog once I finished in the lab, and I think damn it, like if I started all of this when I started my PhD, it would, yeah, um, it would have been so much better. But it's never too late to start. It's just yeah, I think I find it. I could easily just forget about Twitter. I need to be more proactive and have mm-hmm. more presence on there. Because um, you never know. Like, it's such a good way to network. Yeah. So you just never know what will come up from it. Yeah. So, yeah, I should get one. Yeah. Good. That's great advice that I'm getting from you. <laughs> but yeah, I can't, I can't help you figure it out. Yeah, you can have to go and see what happens. Um, so in terms of my actual lab research, I... Um, Yes, most of my experiments are basically uh, measuring the maximum contraction that muscles produce in offspring that were born to mothers fed normal or high-fat diets. Now, this wasn't particularly the most enjoyable phase of my life, so I'd get into the lab at about fresh 6am and I wouldn't leave until about 12am, maybe 11pm on a good day. But you know, it was fine. It'd get to like 8 p.m. I'd get to go on my daily stroll to Sainsbury's local because I know how to live life. 
And um, five hour night sleeps constantly made me feel a bit jaded, you know, I wasn't having time to go to the gym and energise myself that way. So I thought, oh screw it, I'll just, you know, I'll treat myself and like up my energy levels a bit. So I'd always have the daily dilemma of do I go for the chocolate or do I go for the cookies? And most times I'd get one of those hefty bars of chocolate. So, you know, I'd wander back to the lab, bit for me, bit for the mouse, bit for me, bit for the mouse. And um, I would eat one of these whole bars every day for good, well, a couple months on end. I genuinely didn't think that I was unlucky enough to get that. Genuinely, genuine thought processes, but like, that makes no sense. I'm a scientist, and I'm a scientist studying the detrimental effects of a high-fat diet on our health. Um, so, being isolated in the lab for 18 hours a day, with mice as my only friends, definitely did something weird to this brain. <laughs> So what other um, like science communication uh, initiatives are you involved in besides your blog? What else are you up to? Um, so I'm a STEM ambassador, so I, through that, that's meant I've gone to visit schools or talk to groups of students in the Southampton General Hospital and trying to inspire them with the research I do and science in general. Um, so I actually did a um, an event at the Winchester Science Centre on Friday for International Women's Day mm. and so they had just a load of female um, school students come in and we had to do some speed mentoring sessions and it's just amazing how many of them are like no uh, science and technology or engineering whatever is a boy subject like, that's mm. not cool like, I want to do dance or drama like so many of them have that mm. kind of attitude so it's trying to like talk to them about like why science is cool and why they don't like it and what, what do you say to them I mean what do you say when when you're told when a young yeah. person says something like that well so I originally wanted to go into graphic design mm. so I kind of tell them how like actually like I've gone from wanting to do a subject like that to science and how I think they feel that they have these pressures to do certain like the girly subjects mm -hmm. And once you've made your choices at GCSEs or in school, that's like what you're set to do for the rest of your life. And I was like, well, no, like you have so much flexibility in all of it. Mm -hmm. And um, just talking to them about my research, they're like, oh, I didn't know people could do that. I didn't know that's what science did. Like, we just sit in class and we have to like copy out a textbook and things like that. But they don't, they don't realise what an actual scientist does. Mm -hmm. So I think just talking about the research and the topic that I study. I think that kind of that helps to inspire some people as well because they're like, oh, I didn't know that's what people actually do. So mm -hmm. yeah, I think it's more just rather than trying to force the idea of science into them, it's like talking about the various things that you can research and mm -hmm. where it can take you. I think that kind of inspires them a bit more than anything else, really. Yeah, and I suppose like just sort of dispelling some of the myths that they like grow up hearing about what it means to be a scientist and yeah just putting a real face to it I imagine goes a long way yeah definitely and you see um yeah so they'll be talking to various PhD students about all of their research and they're like oh you're you look like a normal person and it's <laughs> yeah. like oh yeah of course I do but I suppose they have a set stereotype of what a scientist looks like sometimes yeah so it's just funny hearing some of the things they say but it's nice that over the time you talk to them that they are you can see like 
the way they think like they're thinking like oh this is kind of cool but yeah yeah so yeah that's fun and I imagine I mean given that you also have interest in science communication you know being being able to talk to them about different career paths that um, relate to science but not necessarily being a laboratory researcher yeah um, and showing them that there's you know multiple different um, paths that they could go down yeah exactly yeah. but yeah showing that is so important because mm-hmm. they just think oh the scientist is boring and so yeah it's nice to show them or tell them about what various things you can do so yeah I mean I love all that side of science communication mm-hmm. it's nice to see when young people are a bit inspired and they're like oh maybe I could do science or yeah, yeah it's kind of making them realize that potential and that they can actually do it mm-hmm. so but yeah so um so now that you finished your PhD, what are you uh, what are you up to now, and what do you have on your horizon? Oh gosh, big question. Yeah. Um, so Sorry. right now, <laughs> right now I'm doing a little bit of image analysis for um, for my supervisor from work that um, carries on for my PhD. So I'm being paid for that for like a couple more weeks. So that's kind of been a nice little transition. Um, and then, I yeah, I want to get into science communication, but it's really difficult to know like what to do because it's not like I built up a freelance like a load of freelance work or anything like that to kind of keep me going or whether I want to go into public engagement or whether I want to do science scientific writing or Mm -hmm. it's really difficult to know so um I'm probably going to apply for a few various random things Mm -hmm. and see what happens but yeah definitely go away in a couple of months time to just chill on a beach for a month <laughs> and figure out hopefully it will I'll have an epiphany of what I'm going to do you're going on vacation yeah I'm gonna go, <laughs> yes I'm going gonna go traveling for a month I haven't had a gap year yeah ever, like ever so I feel like now my brain just needs a bit of recovery time yeah <laughs> so yeah I'll do that and then I'll apply for some things in the next couple of weeks and see what comes about but if I have to sort that out after I come back then that's what I'll have to do yeah but yeah so we'll see hopefully some sort of communication writing type job yeah but I guess if any if anyone is listening to this and, and needs yes, some please. experienced <laughs> science communicator on their on their team yeah. contact Dr. Lisa Jones <laughs> <laughs> yes please please contact me if there's anything you need <laughs> tips to share with you. One, don't spill radiation into a water bath. It makes you cry. It does not set you out for a good day. (laughs) Two, do not drop a scalpel into your leg and carry on with your experiments. (laughs) Probably a sign you should go home, go to sleep. And yes, I do still have the scar. Three, don't name your mice before you kill them. Four, (laughs) um, say yes to any conferences you can go to. Who doesn't love free wine? It doesn't matter if you get a hangover the next day. Just explore the city. You don't need to do all the sciencing. And five, don't do a PhD because there is so much more to life. Okay, and so do you have any, now that you have successfully completed your PhD and you're moving on, do you have any sort of final advice for the PhD students out there? Oh, okay. That's loads of advice. One, um, oh... How am I going to... Just trying to think. Putting you on the spot. Yeah, no, I've got so much advice, but in, like, little bits. Um, 
definitely have a good support network around you. Mm. So whether you absolutely love your PhD or you are not enjoying it so much, having a support network is so important. It's so demanding at times that you need people around you, whether it's just to whether it's you need to moan about, I don't know, your supervisor or mm. the long lab days or whether you just want to get some stuff off your chest or just not talk about PhD at all, having a good support network around you is really great. Um, one thing I would recommend is if you are have yeah, if you have any problems, don't be afraid to talk to people about it and definitely seek help because that's in my opinion that's people think asking for help is a weakness but mm. I think if you recognize it it's definitely a strength in your character mm -hmm. to be able to accept that and actually do what you need to do and help yourself basically um, and keep a work try and maintain a good work-life balance so many people in my office come come in early and they're there until late at night and they'll eat their pretty much all three meals in the office but they have nothing else well, from what I see, like they, there's not that much time they have for themselves or with other people or to do mm. hobbies. And I think it's really unhealthy to work like 12 hours a day, every day. Yeah. Um, so make sure that you, you set yourself goals to get the work done, but you also plan in social things or you go to the gym or whatever hobbies you enjoy. It's definitely having a good work-life balance. Yeah, I guess that's probably important for anyone, huh? Not just yeah, PhD definitely. <laughs> yeah, I think though that in PhD you can be in like a little PhD bubble, yeah. and supervisors or um, have them, or even maybe it's self-imposed. Um, but like, oh, this needs to be done. Like, you need to get all this work done. You can't leave until this time. Like, life is your PhD, and actually being able to take a step back and being like no like yes this is important but I also need to manage my own life and do the things that make me happy because otherwise so many people suffer from burnout yeah and then it just suddenly comes and it's like oh my gosh this is a real struggle so it's just trying to maintain yeah just good yeah being healthy physically and mentally I think is so important yeah but then again like you say that's important for anyone yeah but I think you're right, doing it from the start, you know, I think people start their PhDs and just, you know, want to work, 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 but you, you really have to manage this stuff from the beginning or else it, it, it catches up with you, I think. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think those are probably like my main Great. bits of <laughs> There's probably loads more I could talk about. Yeah. Those are probably the main things or especially from people I speak to through my blog is always oh, I've got a difficult supervisor, or I don't know how, yeah, they want me to work, like, 10 hours a day, and at my weekends as well, and it's kind of managing expectations too, and yeah. I think just trying to manage, like, your life so you're productive, but you're also living a life outside of PhD, I think that's just so important. Seriously, I do love the science, I just absolutely hate the lab. Um, but I'm a wannabe science communicator and I absolutely love writing my blog. Um, and as a personal plug, my blog is innerscienceworldblog.wordpress.com. So we'll see where the future takes me. And hopefully I will not be entering my sixth year wondering when the hell am I going to become Dr. Jones. <laughs> yeah. Thank you.
Thanks well, so much, thanks. and good luck finding a job. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> thank you for all your fun questions. <laughs> Hello again. Yeah, thank you for listening all the way through and still sticking around here at the end to listen to me just wrap things up quickly. Uh, and thank you, of course, to Grace and Lisa for having that chat and um, letting me record it. Uh, that was a, a fun time. Um, and uh, and particularly thanks, of course, to Grace because she hosted us for that recording. Uh, I was going to have them in my new flat here, but um, I couldn't find the cable to connect up my microphone to my laptop and... Uh, Grace and her husband saved the day, so um, yeah, thanks uh, thanks again to them. Uh, there was a slightly uh, strange moment afterwards where um, I think Grace thought that I had uh, specifically asked her to interview Lisa because I knew that Grace was pregnant and I knew that Lisa studied things to do with uh, pregnancy and diet. And um, that wasn't the case at all. It was just a coincidence of how I was sorting out who was interviewing who. who. So um, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I hope I hope that didn't make either of them feel uncomfortable at all, and I hope that because of that, um, you guys got something interesting out of it, uh, whether you yourself are pregnant or know anyone who's pregnant or not. Um, yeah, but it was a it was a good chat anyway. Pregnancy uh, aside, <laughs> um, well, including the pregnancy. Um, yeah, so thanks thanks again to them, and uh, thank you again for listening. Uh, I don't have very much else to say at the moment. We just had a show uh, a couple of weeks back, and. Um, yeah, sorry if you missed it, but um, it was a great, great show, uh, Women in Research Special. But you can, if you did miss it, you can go on our YouTube channel now. If you look for Bright Club Southampton on YouTube, you will find that we have already put up a load of videos from that show. So you can watch those videos and uh, relive the night if you were there or just find out what you missed if you weren't there. And um, and you can also, if you look up our Facebook page, you can see a load of photos from the night. And uh, yeah, again... Uh, just check them out if you were there, find yourself in them, tag yourself in them, tag your friends, or whatever. Uh, and uh, I guess the main thing that I want to say really is that um, if you think you want to have a go at performing at Bright Club, or you know someone who should have a go at performing at Bright Club, please get in touch with us. Please email us at brightclubsotton at gmail.com. That was uh, all one word, brightclubsotton at gmail.com we are always looking for performers for our next show and um yeah depending on how many performers we get lined up soon our next show might be sooner than it often would be at the stage so um but yeah i don't know i can't say that with any certainty until we actually book some performers in so please if you want to have a go get in touch with us we want you to have a go and uh in case you didn't realize we put on a load of training sessions between each show so uh, you can ask any of the previous performers um, how they found the experience, but uh, I think they've all enjoyed it and all found our training sessions helpful, and we will try and help you come up with the jokes as much as we can, uh, which is a fair bit because I really enjoy that side of things. So, um, yeah, don't don't be feeling like you can't do it and you aren't funny because everyone thinks they aren't funny. Uh, I think I'm not funny on a regular basis, but still perform occasionally. Um and it's fine, it's fun, so please get in touch with us, and please have a go. Um, yeah, I don't want to waste any more of your time, so uh, uh, enjoy the rest of your day, uh, see you again soon, and uh, bye!